And then they got to the school that we'd been hearing about this entire book, and it was... Well, it was... it was nice, I guess. It was fine. It was fine. Nothing special. Chapter 6, Journey from Platform 9 and 3 Quarters. So this is like a dumb thing that happens in all these whimsical fantasy stories where there's this like fraction for an address. It's like, oh, the old man lives in room 14 and a half. And the kid is like, f f 14 and a half? But that's, 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 that's not a whole number. Addresses have to be integers. But like, I live in LA and this is like... A really bizarre trope to me because there are actually places in LA that have halves and quarters as addresses but whatever so I'm sure that the train that takes him to Hogwarts is some like magic train shit that departs from platform nine and three quarters and that's the name of that chapter so our chapter opens with Harry back at his aunt and uncle's fuck you Hagrid and now they just neglect him so for the entire month they just don't pay any attention to him whatsoever. And to give you an idea of how terrible his aunt and uncle are, the narrator says that the neglect was an improvement in many ways. So, like, think about how abysmal it was before, that the utter neglect is an improvement. And so then Harry is alone in his room with his owl, and he's like, I'm really into gender-fluid rock stars from Berlin, and so he names his owl Hedwig. Uh, and then he asks his uncle to take him to the train station, and his uncle agrees for some reason, even though that's completely out of character based on everything we know about his uncle. Like, recall that this dude's mission was to prevent Harry from reading the Hogwarts letter, which ended up completely consuming his whole life and the life of his entire family. And now he's just like, well, a giant scared me, so I'll take you to the train. And then we find out that Dudley has to get his pigtail surgically removed. And look, okay, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm not saying I hope Dudley pulls a Columbine on Hogwarts. I'm just saying if he did, I would understand. And so then they take Harry to the train station, and the uncle is like, see, platform 9 and then platform 10 and nothing in between. And then the whole family drives off and abandons Harry. And so then Harry doesn't know what the fuck to do. And I think it's sort of implied that he's like just thinking about jumping onto the tracks and just ending this whole thing with the sweet release of death. Uh, but then this family um, with like a mom and four red-haired boys and some girl is there, and the mom doesn't know her own son's names. And I'm not making this up. I know I make shit up in this book all the time, but this is literally a quote from the book. The kid says to his mother, Honestly, woman, call yourself our mother. Can't you tell I'm George? So it's like basically fuck George. And then he's like, haha, got you good, fucker. I'm actually Fred. And so, fuck Fred. Uh, these people are awful already. And then they walk between the platforms and they disappear. Because, like, of course they do. And then the mom tells Harry getting on the platform is, like, basically a trust fall. And so Harry gets to the platform. And I think there's supposed to be some sort of, like, level of suspense here, but there's not. And then he just gets on. And then Fred and George are the red-haired twins. And they help Harry because he's like a celebrity. And then they go back and make fun of their younger brother. And then the narrator doesn't do a very good job of showing whether these twins are like actually dicks or whether they're just like razzing their family. And I can't really tell. 
And then the oldest of the red-haired kids is named Percy, and he's all, like, robed out already, and he has a big P on his robe, which stands for Prefect. And his brothers make fun of him because he's a total fucking braggart about that shit. And then the twins are like, yo, mom, you know who we met is fucking Harry Potter. And the mom was like, oh, for real? Was he that one kid? And they're like, yeah, he has a fucking lightning bolt on his head and everything. And Harry's like, "Uh, I am standing right here. I can hear you. And so then they tell him that their last name is Weasley. And Ron uh, is the youngest Weasley. And he's like, my family are wizards, except for one guy who was an accountant. So we don't ever talk to him. What the fuck? And so then Ron Weasley is basically like, okay, look, here's my deal. I'm a guy with a lot to live up to because of my brothers. So if I do well, it's no big deal. But if I don't, I'm a total failure. Uh, You know, remind you of anyone? And so then Ron is like, "Uh, my family is poor. Oops, just kidding. Never mind. How are you? And Harry accidentally says the V word. And Ron is like, yo, you shouldn't say that word. We're not supposed to say that word. They can say it, but we can't say that word. And then Harry's like, I bet I'm going to be terrible because I was raised by muggles. And thus, I don't have any of what French educational sociologist Pierre Bourdois refers to as cultural capital, and that's going to really hinder me at this institution. And actually, this is kind of a cool point, because Harry would feel sad and out of place like this, and Ron's like, no, it'll be totally fine. And so Ron is still, like, blinded by this meritocratic ideology that says, no, it's your individualist merits that lead to scholastic success, and it doesn't have anything to do with uh, socialization, but Harry has this legitimate fear uh, that he may fail despite his best efforts because social and cultural trappings will cause a disconnect uh, that he won't be able to subvert or overcome. And I think that this is really interesting. I also think that it's really interesting that Mumblecore put him in this position because if he's such a great wizard, he should understand this dynamic and he clearly doesn't. So once again, fuck you Mumblecore, fuck you Hagrid, Fuck you, Professor Cat Lady. Uh, fuck the Dursleys, and fuck Dudley. Actually, Dudley's just a product of his environment, not, not him. But Aunt and Uncle, Dumbledore, Hagrid, Professor Cat Lady, all of these people uh, have basically conspired to make Harry Potter, give Harry Potter as big of a disadvantage as he possibly could have. And I'm not sure why. But this theme of... of cultural capital versus meritocratic success within an educational institution is actually a really interesting theme to me if it materializes because it's one of those things where it's like it can go one way and be really interesting or it can just be like oh harry's just being paranoid and sad and then as soon as he starts putting in the hard work he can thrive in this foreign institution and it's like please please narrator don't do that second thing there are kids reading this book from backgrounds that are maladapted to whatever educational institution that they're gonna find themselves in and if you reinforce that it isn't a problem and it's just a matter of like hard work then they're going to internalize that and then blame themselves for their inability to overcome it and so this maybe is the biggest turning point for this book thematically for me and it's taking place on a train going to hogwarts which is kind of a perfect metaphor for it i mean at this point this is really just this beach ball down the middle and i hope by the end of the book i can look back and be like yeah she really hit the ball out of the park here she really did a good job with this metaphor i think my fear is that the lack of thematic nuance in the first five chapters is making me very skeptical also the fact that the very next scene is like let's reobsess ourselves with consumption there's all sorts of crazy wizard candy this is not boding well for the nuanced thematic ideas of meritocratic versus cultural success in an educational institution Or maybe that's the point. Maybe it's this idea that we sublimate our structural anxieties into consumption 
And so we eat and we buy things and we plug ourselves even deeper into the very system that's sort of causing these anxieties. It's, it's like this sort of classic addiction model uh, where the addictive device offers itself as the solution to the very problems that it's causing. And basically, I mean, this is essentially how the capitalist system works, right? It's like, oh, you're not able to hack it in this social order? Okay, that just means you need to work harder. Uh, you don't like this social system? Well, have you tried working even harder to reinforce it? It's like this fucking lean-in bullshit. So, I mean, essentially we have a cool setup here. How Harry responds to it uh, over the next six and a half books is really going to tell us a lot about the ideological underpinnings of the book. So then Harry and Ron become consumption machines, and one of them, uh, one of the candies uh, has, like, wizard cards in them. They're, like, baseball cards, but fucking wizards. And Harry gets, like, a Mumblecore rookie card, and then... Uh, the card gives us some more backstory about Mumblecore, and he's considered the greatest wizard of all time. He defeated, or no, sorry, just the greatest wizard of the of the modern era. He defeated some dude named Grindelwald back during World War II, and he likes chamber music and ten-pin bowling, and he hates background checks and stable home environments. And so then it turns out all the wizards from all the various myths are real. So you got like Morgana and Merlin from the Arthurian legends, you got like Circe from Greek and Roman mythos, Hengist of Anglo-Saxon myth. But then you, like, have actual people from history, like Ptolemy and uh, Periclesis. And that's sort of an interesting reimagining of history. And then this sad kid comes along, and he loses his toad, and he's like, have you guys seen my toad? I'm sad. And they say no. And then this bossy girl is like, have you seen a toad? Neville lost his toad. And Harry's like, no, we've already told Neville to fuck off. We haven't seen his toad. And the bossy girl looks at Ron and is like, oh, are you doing magic? Let's see your magic. And it's like, geez, calm down, bossy girl. And then bossy girl's like, I'm a real fast talker, and I'm an overachiever, and I do magic, but my family doesn't do magic, but I heard that this is a good school for magic, and I've already memorized all the books, and I'm way better at life than either of you, and oh, my name is, and I think that I've heard this pronounced Hermione, but like, I would have never pronounced it that way. I would have said like, Hermione, or Hermione, but I'm just going to call her bossy girl until she gives me a reason to call her something else. And also, she reminds me of like, everyone I went to law school with, so like, real talk, Hermie one it's not your fault but getting on my good side is gonna be a real uphill battle and she doesn't do herself any favors by being like oh you're harry potter and you haven't read all the books about yourself and she's like i'm just saying if i were you i would have read every book ever about me and harry's like uh, i lived in a cupboard my whole life and then she's like do you know what house you're in i hope i'm in gryffindor but i also wouldn't mind being in ravenclaw and it's like uh no we don't know what house we're in because we're all on a fucking train to the school how are you this stupid already and then it's like, of course you want to be in one of those two houses. The other two are for stupid people and evil people. But then we find out that Mumblecore was in Gryffindor, which I feel like that's already like a hip-hop lyric. And then she's like, anyway, I'm going to continue to help this Neville kid find his toad. By the way, you two look like shit and you should change your clothes. And Ron's like, yo, fuck her, man. She sucks. And then this other kid comes in and it's the shitty kid from the robe dressing room. And he's like, is it true you're Harry Potter? Because I'm a shitty evil kid named Draco Malfoy. And these are my droogs, Krabby and Goyle, and we're awful. And Harry's like, uh, you should leave. And then the evil kids are like, need a haircut, greaser? And then Ron's rat bites one of them and causes them to leave. And then Bossy Girl comes in and is like, I told you to put your dang robes on, you chuds, because I have given myself that authority for some reason. And Ron's like, okay, but will you leave? And Bossy Girl is like, yes, I only came here because I'm better than everybody else. And oh, you're a dirty shit kid. And so, like, I'm just going to call it right now. 
Ron and Bossy Girl are going to smash. I am shipping that shit right now. Uh, it's a classic trope. I heard it here first. Except for you probably already know what happens, because everybody does except for me. And then they get off the train, and Groundskeeper Willie is there, and he leads them through the forest. And, okay, so they finally get their first glimpse of Hogwarts, and, it, and, and you know, it's, it's this sort of build-up that we've been waiting for. And here's the sentence that the narrator uses. Perched atop a high mountain on the other side, its windows sparkling in the starry sky, was a vast castle with many turrets and towers. With many turrets and towers? That prose is so unimpressive for what should be this, like, epic, masterful scene. This is supposed to be the place that, like, transforms Harry's entire existence. And his first glance is just, like, a castle with many turrets and towers. It's even worse because these kids are, like, paddling these boats to the castle, and they're all staring at it in awe. So it's supposed to be this, like, awesome, like, awesome in the biblical sense of the word scene. Like, this crystallization of the sublime, but we get many turrets and towers. Like, seriously, the, the narrator might as well have just written, like, there's, there were a lot of castle-y parts to this castle. It was very castle-y. I, like, I was so disappointed reading that. Because I, I was really excited to see what it looked like. Part of me wanted to be fucking, like, this awesome, you know, fucking, like, sublime scene. And this other part of me wanted it to be, like, this totally shitty, like, fucking boxy schoolhouse with, like, trailer classrooms or, like, you know, whatever those underfunded schools have. But instead we get... An impressive tower described in the clunkiest prose imaginable. This is unforgivable. I can forgive the weird psychosexual shit. I can forgive the weird anti-Semitic shit. The utter lack of moral clarity among the wizard class. But many turrets and towers. Many turrets and towers. And then they all cross the lake on their boats and Hagrid knocks on the door. And that's the end of the chapter. Many turrets and towers. Are you fucking kidding me? So, a lot going on here. Big old chapter, um, and I think that we have probably been introduced for the first time to some of the principal characters. We met Bossy Girl. We met Evil Kid. We met a clearly sidekick named Ron. And, like, I'm pretty disappointed in the female characterization so far. Basically, I'm a third of the way through this book, and there hasn't been a single likable female character. The closest has probably been Professor Catwoman, uh, who really didn't do anything except to agree to let Harry spend his childhood in an abusive environment. Or maybe Mrs. Fig, who was like this benign old weirdo cat lady who didn't really do anything good or bad. So, I don't know. I am holding out hope that we'll be introduced to some more complex, nuanced female characters. Uh, so far, the only likable characters, I think, in this, entire, in this entire story have been, well, Harry, Ron Weasley, and uh, Groundskeeper Willie. And I think that Mumblecore is supposed to be likable, but he's like, I, I'm not feeling him. And every female character that we've been introduced to has just been, like, this awful, awful person. And I don't know, I mean, maybe that's, maybe it's coming from Harry's worldview or something, or maybe the narrator is, like, it's going to be a bait-and-switch, I don't know. I guess we'll see. But right now, that's, that's a thing in this chapter that really bothered me, other than the uh, many turrets and towers, which is a sin to end all sins. Okay, hey, take it easy.